Hi, everyone, and welcome to Becoming Lincoln. Episode 6, Sarah Lincoln Grigsby. In her biography of Jane Meekham, Benjamin Franklin's sister, the historian Jill Lepore quotes Virginia Woolf's 1929 essay, A Room of One's Own. About halfway through the work, Woolf asked a question. What if Shakespeare had, quote, a wonderfully gifted sister, called Judith, let us say? Woolf imagined two lives diverging like the lines of an obtuse angle. Will would go to school and run wild. Judith would have been enclosed. Wolf wrote, quote, She picked up a book now and then, one of her brothers perhaps, and read a few pages. But then her parents came in and told her to mend the stockings or mind the stew and not moon about with books and papers. They would have spoken sharply, but kindly, for they were substantial people who knew conditions of life for a woman and loved their daughter. Indeed, she was the apple of her father's eye. Perhaps she scribbled some pages up in an apple loft on the sly, but was careful to hide them or set fire to them. Wolf then imagined Judith's father forcing her to marry a local boy. He beat her when she refused, then tearfully pleaded with Judith to change her mind. Judith ran away to a nearby city, where she was shut out from the theater that made her brother famous. Eventually, this Judith was seduced by a stage manager and abandoned before she committed suicide. Wolfe concluded this sad tale by suggesting that Shakespeare's genius could not be found among the servile people, as she put it. But Wolfe added, quote, Yet genius of a sort must have existed among women as it existed among the working classes. Now and again, an Emily Bronte or a Robert Burns blazes out and proves its presence. But it certainly never got itself on paper. I wonder if we don't have a real-world Judith and the young woman best known for being Abraham Lincoln's sister. Now, Sarah Lincoln Grigsby's life is not an exact match to Judith Shakespeare's hypothetical one. Sarah never left the countryside. She got the same level of formal education as her brother, and Thomas Lincoln is not known to have beaten her. But like Judith, Sarah was a gifted woman who never got herself on paper. In many ways, she seems to have lived her mother's life in miniature. Like Nancy, Sarah was by all accounts an intelligent person. And like her mother, Sarah's life is not well documented. There are maybe a half dozen testimonies about her in William Herndon's Lincoln record, and some secondhand stories recorded 60 or 80 or 100 years after the events they depicted. And like Nancy, she died young. In the first third of Abraham's existence, Sarah seems as close to her brother as his own breath. Then she vanishes, like a dying breeze that never touched Abraham again. In the collected works of Abraham Lincoln, printed in eight large volumes covering 35 years of a public life, Lincoln mentioned his sister twice. Once in 1844, after a melancholy trip to his old neighborhood, and once in a campaign biography in 1860, where he wrote, 
Quote, he had a sister, older than himself, who was grown and married, but died many years ago, leaving no child. In neither instance did Abraham write Sarah's name. If he ever spoke at length about his sister, no one remembered it. Abraham's silence should not be taken as indifference. He hardly ever spoke of his mother, and as we'll see, he was shut-mouthed about most of his romantic pursuits. Mary Lincoln, his wife, later wrote, quote, He was not a demonstrative man. When he felt most deeply, he expressed the least. But that makes it difficult to get a picture of Sarah. We're also hamstrung by the testimonials Dennis Hanks and Sarah Bush Lincoln gave to William Herndon. They lived with Sarah for years, but said very little about her to Herndon, who, to be fair, was not especially interested in Abraham's sister. Sarah Bush Lincoln barely mentioned her stepdaughter in her 1865 interview with Herndon. And in interviews and correspondence with Herndon, Dennis Hanks treated Sarah as something like a background extra, though he said more about her in other interviews. The best descriptions of Sarah come from outside her immediate family. Nat Grigsby, Sarah's brother-in-law and Abraham's friend, called her, quote, that good woman. He told Herndon, quote, her good-humored laugh I can see now and is as fresh in my mind as if it were yesterday. She could, like her brother, meet and greet a person with the very kindest greeting in the world, make you easy at the touch and at the word. People who knew the Lincolns said Sarah and Abraham favored their father's looks. Austin Gallagher, Abraham's friend in Kentucky, said Sarah was, quote, just as pretty as Abe was homely, with big brown eyes and curly chestnut hair. But where Abraham got his mother's long, spindly frame, Sarah inherited her father's more compact build. John Hanks, a relative who lived with the Lincolns in the 1820s, said Sarah was short and, in his words, heavy-built. But descriptions of Sarah's personality sound like those of her brother. John Hanks called her, quote, smart and shrewd. Nat Grigsby said Sarah was, quote, an intellectual and intelligent woman. Elizabeth Crawford, who hired both Sarah and her brother for work, called her, quote, a shrewd, social, and intelligent woman. Dennis Hanks claimed Sarah never took to reading. This could be true, though she had the same level of formal education as Abraham and would have had access to the books her stepmother brought to their cabin. And remember, reading was equated with laziness. There are suggestions that, by frontier standards, Sarah was considered more practical than her brother. Nat Grigsby said, quote, She was industrious, more so than Abraham. Abe worked almost alone from the head, while she labored both. From what the admittedly limited records tell us, Abraham was close to his sister. They shared the pain of Nancy's death, but they also attended school together and sometimes worked for the same employers. Sidney Blumenthal suggests that Thomas rented his children out in a kind of package deal. Sarah would work the inside, Abraham the outside. There are also stories that Sarah was protective of her younger brother, and that the young Abraham could be as cheeky with her as he was with everyone else. Elizabeth Crawford said, quote, Abe Lincoln was one day bothering the girls, his sister and others playing yonder, and his sister scolded him, saying, 
Abe, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. What do you expect will become of you? Be president of the U.S., promptly responded Abe. Abraham could dream big. But early on, Sarah's horizons collapsed into a tunnel. After Nancy died, all of her domestic responsibilities fell on Sarah's shoulders. Those were physically taxing. Andrew Caton, in his book Frontier Indiana, wrote, quote, Imagine the amount of time and labor which went into preparing food. Women typically grew as well as cooked the vegetables they fed to their families. They raised chickens, wrung their necks, plucked their feathers, cleaned, cooked, and served them. They fed and tended a cow, milked it, and made butter. Cooking involved keeping a fire going, banking it at night, getting it going in the morning, pulling firewood and water. When a woman was not preparing food, she would spend considerable amounts of time making or repairing clothing. Her stepmother's arrival probably relieved Sarah of some of these burdens, but in a few years she would be rented out, doing it all over again. As much as Abraham hated working for his father, at age 21 he would be legally liberated. Sarah's options were much fewer in number, and nearly all of them involved waiting on someone. To put it another way, Abraham could lead. Sarah would serve. Sarah worked for the Grigsby's for a time, then, at age 18, spent a year with the Crawfords doing housekeeping. She may have met the Grigsby's second son, Aaron, as a child, but it seems likely they became better acquainted during her time working for the family. Almost nothing is known of Aaron Grigsby, six years Sarah's senior, and there are practically no first-hand accounts of their relationship. It could have been love. It could have been a fling. Or perhaps Sarah, like her brother, was tired of being rented out and saw marriage as the only escape. Like her brother, Sarah had charm, and from a social standpoint, Aaron was a great catch. The Grigsby's were among the leading families in the area. Like her father, and later her brother, Sarah may have attracted someone above her station. Whatever the circumstances, Sarah married Aaron Grigsby in August 1826. This wedding would have been a giant community celebration. William Cockrum, describing some of these customs in his 1907 Pioneer History, said there would have been two parts, a wedding at the home of the bride, usually at noon, and then a reception at the home of the groom's father, known as the Inn Fair. These parties could get wild. Traditionally, the groom would lead his friends on horseback from his father's house to the bride's. Just before they arrived, the two best riders would take off for a race to win a bottle of whiskey. This could be dangerous. Cockrum records one instance of a rider breaking his skull on a low-lying tree branch. But if safely recovered, the whiskey would be passed around the groom and his groomsmen. After the wedding, the whole neighborhood would go to a feast of meat, bread, and honey. These could be served on tables that were a hundred feet long, and sometimes covered by a long linen cloth made by the bride. Cockrum wrote, quote, All the dishes in the neighborhood had been borrowed, as the supply was very scant, only a few pewter plates, a few pewter spoons, but horn and wooden ones filled the needs. 
Then later, either in the afternoon or the next day, the infair would take place. In some ways, this was a repeat of the previous party, with a lot of eating and dancing. At Sarah and Aaron's wedding, Abraham sang a piece called Adam and Eve's Wedding Song. It concluded, quote, His woman was not taken from Adam's feet, we see, so he must not abuse her, the meaning seems to be. This woman was not taken from Adam's head, we know, to show she must not rule him, tis evidently so. This woman she was taken from under Adam's arm, so she must be protected from injuries and harm. When the last reveler left for home, Sarah would have to adjust to becoming one flesh with Aaron Grigsby. In Frontier, Indiana, Caton wrote, a married woman's major duty was to have children. In the eyes of contemporary law, Sarah's marriage ended her time as a distinct individual. Her property, what little she had, was Aaron's. Anything that came to her was Aaron's. William Blackstone, the British legal commentator, wrote, quote, By marriage, the husband and wife are one person in law. That is, the very being or legal existence of the woman is suspended during marriage, or at least is incorporated and consolidated into that of the husband. Now, this doesn't mean Sarah lived in isolation. Women in early America, as historian Laurel Thatcher Ulrich notes, had specific roles and engaged in their own economic activity. As she writes, quote, Women fed travelers, bargained with their neighbors, and moved about towns at will. Women, to use a biblical metaphor, performed their works under a bushel. Men's candles burned on the hill. We certainly know Sarah worked as a servant in her community and that she joined the local Baptist church. But her other works are concealed from us. Politically and legally, Sarah had been incorporated into Aaron Grigsby. And being incorporated into this particular man may have sparked regrets in the 19-year-old. There is scattered but consistent evidence that something was very, very wrong in Sarah's marriage. We have to be careful because the earliest testimonies here date from the late 1880s, long after all the principles were gone. But these stories all say Aaron abused Sarah. The nature of that abuse is unknown, but it was apparently serious enough to enrage the Lincolns. Herndon wrote in 1887 that the Lincolns thought the Grigsby's mistreated Sarah. Later that year, an Indiana man who lived in the neighborhood wrote to Herndon's collaborator, Jesse Wyke, that Aaron Grigsby's, quote, cruel treatment of his wife caused trouble between the Lincoln and Grigsby families. There was a Grigsby family story that they disdained Sarah for working as a servant. Joseph Richardson, who grew up in the Lincoln's neighborhood, was asked about Abraham's reaction in 1890 and replied, quote, You may think you have forgiven the fellow who married your sister and abused her, but you never do. You go gunning for him in your sleep. Amid this awful situation, Sarah became pregnant sometime in 1827. In mid-January 1828, Sarah went into labor. 
By one account, Sarah was put on a sled and taken to the Grigsby's main home. We don't know if she was at term or suffering a miscarriage. It seems likely Sarah would have been attended by a midwife, assisted by local women. In her classic work on the main midwife, Martha Ballard, Laura Thatcher Ulrich wrote, quote, Most early American women literally gave birth in the arms or on the laps of their neighbors. Whatever happened, it seems to have been terrifying. Sarah suffered some kind of complication, whether during the birth or from infection afterward. The sequence of events isn't clear. One neighbor later said they let her lay too long. There are different accounts as to whether a doctor was sent for, but the end result everyone agreed on. Neither the mother nor the child survived the delivery. Sarah Lincoln Grigsby was three weeks short of her 21st birthday. She was laid to rest with her infant in her arms. One story said that when Abraham heard of his sister's death, he, quote, sat down on a log and hid his face in his hands while the tears rolled down through his long, bony fingers. Those present turned away in pity and left him to his grief. The historian Michael Burlingame quotes Lincoln's friend Henry Whitney, who thought Sarah's death brought back terrible memories of Nancy's demise. Sarah's death tipped the Lincoln's anger into full-blown rage at the Grigsby's. Her brother felt a special fury. A year later, the Grigsby's held a double wedding for their sons Reuben and Charles, who were marrying two women named Betsy Ray and Matilda Hawkins. The Lincolns were not invited to the infair, a very public snub. When the Lincolns moved to Illinois the following year, one of the Grigsby's tried to prevent the Little Pigeon Creek Baptist Church from writing a letter of recommendation for Thomas and Sarah Bush Lincoln. Burlingame suggests the Lincolns' poverty was a factor in their non-invitation, as they lacked what would be considered acceptable clothes. Whatever the reason, Abraham decided to take revenge. After the infair, he got a friend to direct Betsy and Matilda to different rooms before their husbands came up. Joseph Richardson said, quote, The candles were blown out. The two husbands were invited and shown to bed. Charles Grigsby got into bed with, by accident as it were, Reuben Grigsby's wife. And Reuben got into bed with Charles's wife. There's apparently a lot of screaming and confusion before the candles were lit and the couple sorted out properly. Herndon later wrote that, quote, who caused it and what for were not found out for some time. Meanwhile, Abraham took advantage of the incident to write some doggerel about what happened. He then turned on a third Grigsby brother, William, claiming he had been rejected by a woman and decided to take a male lover. Elizabeth Crawford remembered one line from the William Grigsby poem as, quote, But Betsy, she said, you cursed baldhead, my suitor you never can be. Besides, your low crotch proclaims you a botch, and that can never answer for me. Nat Grigsby, not one of Abraham's targets, said, quote, The satire was good, sharp, cutting, and showed the genius of the boy. It hurt us then, but it is all over now. Joseph Richardson later claimed that, quote, 
This poem is remembered here in Indiana in scraps better than the Bible. And he added, quote, This was in 1829, and the first production that I know of that made us feel that Abe was truly and really someone. This called the attention of the people to Lincoln intellectually. Not surprisingly, William Grigsby was furious with the poem, and eventually got into a fight with John Johnston, Sarah and Abraham's stepbrother. This ended with Johnston seriously hurt, Abraham dislocating another person's shoulder, and something of a general melee. Sarah's death marks the first appearance of a very ugly characteristic in Lincoln. When he grieves, he lashes out. We'll see this again. Like Nancy, our only glimpses of Sarah come through her brother, which raises a question. How would Abraham's life have been different had she survived that childbirth? She wouldn't have followed the family to Illinois. The Grigsby's were well off, and most of Aaron's brothers stayed in the neighborhood. But if she stayed, would Abraham have gone? Would he go west with a father he didn't like and forsake a sister he loved? Would he find the same opportunities in southern Indiana that he would discover almost miraculously in a small village in central Illinois? How would American history be different if Abraham Lincoln pursued his ambitions in Indiana? Like her mother, the bright light cast by her brother makes Sarah Lincoln Grigsby a silhouette, distinct and dark all at once. But like her mother, we should view Sarah Lincoln Grigsby on her own terms. Here was a woman with a sharp mind and a youth marked by physical toil, a woman who impressed those who remembered her as a warm, outgoing, and extroverted person, a woman with a strong voice, a room-filling laugh, and a gift for putting people at ease. Those are the basic skills of a politician, skills her brother possessed in abundance. And yet, no one would have ever wanted Sarah Lincoln to take the stump. No one encouraged a woman to think big, because the brightest women in America never had the opportunities the dullest man did. We come back to Jula Poor's book on Benjamin Franklin's sister, called Book of Ages. Jane Meekham, born Jane Franklin, was Benjamin Franklin's sister. From extant letters, she was as bright and witty as her revered brother. They had a teasing but loving relationship. Jane wrote to her brother during the Constitutional Convention that the 81-year-old had been mentioned so much in the newspapers that it, quote, makes you appear to me like a young man of 25, a poke at Benjamin's vanity. Jane was a bright and witty person, and like many other bright and witty women of the day, she rarely got to exercise those gifts. Jane was denied a formal education. She learned to read, but struggled with writing. As Lepore wrote, quote, A female writer was worse than unnatural. She was monstrous. As Benjamin rose ever higher in the world, Jane married young and, it seems, unhappily. She had twelve children and buried all but one of them. As Benjamin accumulated wealth and hobnobbed with kings, Jane struggled to keep her large family out of poverty. As Lepore says, quote, no two people in their family were more alike. Their lives could hardly have been more different. He ran away from home when he was 17. 
she never left. He taught himself to write with wit and force and style. She never learned how to spell. He became a printer, a philosopher, and a statesman. She became a wife, a mother, and a widow. He signed the Declaration of Independence, the Treaty of Paris, and the Constitution. She strained to form the letters of her name. Like Jane, we know Sarah because she had a famous brother. Like Jane, Sarah's brother had opportunities the women in his life were never allowed to dream of. Lepore notes that despite their lifelong bond, Benjamin Franklin said nothing about his sister in his autobiography. And whatever Abraham's feelings for Sarah were, he kept a similar silence. Jane lived a much longer life than Sarah, but their lives are testimony to millions of other women who passed as shadows through American history. Their talents routed into channels and emptied into pools where their gifts would sink, wither, and decay. It's possible Thomas and Nancy Lincoln bore two gifted, intelligent children. But whether Sarah possessed her brother's potential for greatness, the fact was her mind, like her mother's, was considered secondary to her body, how it could serve, and who it could bear. Abraham would be given space to develop himself. Sarah, long before her death, was enclosed. Next time, we'll return to the Lincolns as they settled the Illinois prairie, and we'll see Abraham Lincoln win his legal freedom and arrive at a promising commercial village called New Salem.